the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are everlasting. Floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Psalm 93. We're looking at the Psalms this summer. Different Psalm every Sunday. We've got a couple weeks left of summer, so we're going to do a couple more Psalms and then wrap it up and head into some new things in the fall. But until then, today we are in Psalm 93. And I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag, but Psalm 93, it preaches God as king. He's our king. He's the ruler. He's the great one throughout all time and all history, including today. Psalm 93 is a psalm. Uh, it's, it's called sometimes it's referred to as a kingly psalm or an enthronement psalm. And it's a group of psalms that just celebrate uh, God as king. And so with that thought in your mind of God the king, let's pray. And then uh, we're going to work through this psalm together. And then we're going to respond in singing at the end of the service this morning to our king. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And thank you that he is king. That uh, he is ruler. That he will come to judge and to rule and to reign. And uh, we serve him. And he's eternal. And he is a good king. And he's perfect. We thank you for that, Lord. Remind our hearts this morning through your word that you're in control, that this earth and all of this creation belongs to you, and that you are sovereign over every little bit of it. No matter what our eyes may see, no matter what uh, sin in our life, uh, what chaos sin in our life may cause, Lord, you're still in control. And uh, one day you'll eradicate sin from your kingdom. And that will be a great day when we look forward to it. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you might use me 
and uh, speak through me and even to me as I teach. Pray against the enemy whose desire is to overthrow the kingdom as best he can. But we know uh, that his lot and his time is short and he will fail. We thank you for our King Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen. Psalm 93. As I said, it's praising God for being king. So let's work through the psalm together and look through it. And uh, we'll start right away in verse 1. By the way, this is a psalm of praise for God as king. So even before you go and think, what are some of the things you praise? What do you give praise to? What do you speak to? You go, oh, that's good. Oh, I really like this. I love this. You pull out your checkbook, you'd figure out what some of those are. You look at your calendar, you'd figure out what some of those things are. What do you praise? Who who is it? I want you to think about that. If God truly is king, who's king in your life today? Who's king in your life? Who's ruling and reigning and dictating your schedule and your time and your heart? Look at verse 1 of Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. Your translation might say, the Lord is king. And that's just the first thing to point out this morning. Number one, the Lord is king. He's king. Now, this can be a hard thing for us to get our minds around because the reality is we don't have a king. Like, our our form of government is different. We we don't know what that's like to have a king. You're like, well, I thought, hold on, I thought kings were bad. Isn't that why America got started to get out from under the rule of the king? Well, you got to understand who Jesus is as king, though. He's a good and benevolent king. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But let's keep reading. The Lord reigns. He's king. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He's put on strength as his belt. The Lord reigns. New Living Translation is one that actually says that. The Lord is king. In what ways is he king? A king is is somebody, if, if it's a true kingdom, a true monarchy, then the king has ultimate control and ultimate authority and ultimate power over everything in his kingdom. And whatever the king says, goes. And if you have an evil king, that's bad news. But if you have a good king, that's one of the best things that could ever happen. Because he looks out for his people. He rules according uh, to God's decrees. And the Lord is king. I told you there's other psalms that speak of God reigning and his king. You might jot some of these down. Um, 99 verse 1 says, the Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. How do you respond to God as king? When Jesus comes back in Revelation 19, we're going to look at that here in a second, but you're going to find out people will tremble because he's king. He sits enthroned on the cherubim. Let the earth quake, not just the people, but the earth. Psalm 97, 1 through 4 says, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. So there's trembling at God being king, but there's rejoicing at God being king. That's great news. Let many coastlands be glad. The whole world be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. Psalm 97. See, the Lord reigns. And in Psalm 93 here it says he is robed in majesty. In other words, he's clothed. He's clothed in majesty. Clothing in the Old Testament was considered an extension of who you were. You ever hear the saying, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job you want? In a sense, you're, you're dressing the part. Well, sometimes a king might dress the part, but they not, may not be the part. And God is actually clothed in majesty. He is majestic. He's the definition of majesty. 
and of power. He's robed in majesty. We saw this in Psalm 104 as well. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and with majesty. The Lord is robed, he writes in Psalm 93. You know, Jesus is going to have a robe on in Revelation when he comes back. Hold that thought for a second because we're headed there. But let's keep reading in verse 1. He's put on strength as his belt. There's this double metaphor here between God being robed in majesty and then being robed or girded with strength. The way he looks, it's just like that's how he's clothed. That's just who he is. Well, he puts on strength as a belt. Can I tell you a story? When I was a little boy, my dad and I and then my next youngest brother, we would watch wrestling all the time. You're going to learn some things about me and you're going to be like, (laughs) okay. But we would. We watched WWF when it was called WWF. I mean, Hulk Hogan, uh, who else? Uh, King Kong Bundy, Ric Flair. All these guys were my heroes as like a four or five-year-old boy. And then we'd watch wrestling. And then the next thing we'd do is we would wrestle. And my brother and I were a tag team against my dad. And there'd be, you know, there'd be flying elbows off the coffee table and slingshots off the couch. And usually he'd even let us win. But clearly he had more strength. But at the end, you know what you do after you pin my dad? You got up and you put on your belt and you went like this. You know why? Because the macho man, Randy Savage, here's a picture of him. He would do that. He had his belt and he'd wear it and he'd just go, oh yeah. And then he'd grab his glasses. He was so cool to a five-year-old little boy. And we'd do that right in my dad's face. What were we doing? Maybe you see Aaron Rodgers do that today. He stole it from the macho man. He's a fraud. It's the macho man. But you know what he's doing? He's saying, hey, I I won. I'm belted with strength and honor and glory. Check it out. I'm king. I mean, God is girded with strength. In a sense, it's who he is. But it's also, I, I get this image in my mind. I think part of it is, look at who he is. Oh, yeah. When Jesus comes back. He has a belt, he is belted with strength. Isn't that great news? In all of my weakness, my God is belted with strength. He's girded with strength. In fact, Paul tells us in in the New Testament that when I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm weak, he's strong. When I'm unfaithful, he's faithful. That's a good king. That's a king I can trust. That's a king I can serve. And I can get excited about. The Lord is king. He puts on strength as a belt. The psalmist is saying basically God is dressed like a king because he is king. He's dressed with majesty because he is majestic. He's dressed with power because he is powerful. He is, what's the word? King. He's king. Yes, he is. The Lord is king. Now, with that in mind... You've got to keep in mind why that's such an important thing, especially as we head in. I've talked about this already this summer, but especially as we head into the election, things are just going to get messier and messier. And I want to do everything I can to keep your eyes on Jesus as your king. Okay. So, so even you need to understand that, that a king and his kingdom is the best type of government that there is. It's flat out the best. And you might trace that idea back to a guy named Thomas Aquinas. You ever hear of him? Thomas Aquinas was an Italian priest, 
And he talked about it this way. He said that there were basically two forms of government, two types of government. There was just and there was unjust. And he was an incredible philosopher and thinker. What you're going to see is he actually influenced the way you think. He did. There's just and unjust. And then it takes three forms. The very best form, he, would, he argues, is a benevolent monarchy, a good monarchy, where, where there's a king who is good and benevolent and is always doing what's right according to God's word and according to God's law and according to God's grace. So every decision he makes is right. Every decision he makes on behalf of his people uh, is best for them. And he never makes a mistake. And there's no red tape for him to cut through to get something done because he just says it and it's done. The next best type of government, of a just government, he argues, is an oligarchy. An oligarchy is where you have a group of aristocrats who are in charge, and as a group, they they rule and reign. And hopefully they rule and reign in such a way that's honoring to God. And then the third best option is what he would call a, a righteous democracy. And a democracy in this way is when people, as the masses, make right decisions for everyone. But then there's also unjust governments. And he he rates these from one to six. And then number one of the unjust, the best of the unjust, though, is an unjust democracy. Where you have people who are messed up making decisions for the masses. But hopefully there's going to be some people with some good that kind of influence that and make things a little bit right, at least. And then you get even worse, you have an unjust oligarchy where you have a a band of people who are in authority and power and ruling, but they're, they're wicked and they're evil and they don't do what's right. And the very worst of all forms of governments, it's curious, the best and the worst, according to him, is both a, a, a just monarchy and an unjust monarchy. A monarchy where you have a king who's not good and benevolent, but a king who's evil. And he makes choices according to what he desires and he lords it over the people. And he's wicked. Well, later, Aquinas would would revise some of his thinking, and he would say, you know, clearly on this earth, um, until Jesus comes back, you're not going to have that perfect monarchy. So what's the best in the meantime? And he said, well, the best in the meantime, since we're sinful, is maybe this case where you have a, a, a band of people who elect a group of aristocrats who uh, keep checks and balances on a king. Does that sound familiar? You've got a group of people who elect people to serve and rule, and they kind of are there in their form of government to keep checks and balances on, on the ultimate ruler. And that's influenced. Thomas Jefferson and others were greatly influenced by Aquinas's writings. But even this representative democracy, where a monarch is kept in check by a group of elected people who are put into power by a polity of the masses, it's, it's flawed because we're flawed. And if we put our trust solely in that and in what's going on in our nation right now, and we put all of our trust in a candidate or all our trust in, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because what's going to happen is one day, all of America, all the presidents, every one of us will be a blip in history when Jesus is king. And he's king now. Don't forget that. So keep your eyes on him. Yeah, serve. Yeah, vote. Yeah, be involved. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Did I say it enough? You're going to hear it a lot from me this fall. I want to make sure your heart is tuned towards Jesus. Amen? Because the Lord is king. And he is the perfect, benevolent, all-powerful king. He's king today and he has been forever. And in Revelation 19, I'm just going to read this quick because this is... 
this is one of the most hopeful, ver- hopeful passages in all of scripture, okay? Think of the king robed in majesty, girded with strength. Oh yeah. Here it is, Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, John writes, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it, he's called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems or many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That would have been the blood of his enemies. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will, he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the brinepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And you skip down to verse 21. It says, it talks about those in verses 19 and 20 who would rise up against him in battle, but they were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who's sitting on the horse. In other words, his word. It's not going to be a big battle, it's going to be really quick. Jesus is going to come back and set up shop, and it's just going to be like, isn't that awesome? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. He is clothed in majesty. He wears strength as a belt. That's our king. That's your king. And that will be a great day. And number two, the Lord's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is forever. To quote Squints, forever. Forever, unending. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. The the psalmist at the end of verse one into verse two is saying that, that God created all of this. He established it. He laid the earth on its foundations. It's established and it's not gonna be moved unless God himself moves it. And not only the earth, but look at verse two, your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. He's in firm control of everything. What the psalmist is saying there is, when the earth was established, Lord, you were there. You were there. You saw it. You established it. He's in complete control. I think of his rebuke to Job when I read this. When Job has all of his complaints, you've read that? When Job has all of his complaints before God, and then God just like, all right, Job, here's how it is. Were, were you there when I measured everything out? Were you? Did you see how I, I just spoke and it was all there and how I designed everything and from nothing, everything was created? Were, were you there when I measured all of that out and created all of it? Were you there? And he goes on this whole list of things asking Job and Job goes, I guess I spoke too soon. (laughs) I spoke of things, Lord, I don't understand in questioning you. You're God. I'm not. You're king. (laughs) 
forgive me. I'm just your subject. And his kingdom is forever from the beginning to the end. When we looked at Psalm 104, it said he set the earth on his foundation so that it should never be moved. Lord, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took the flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not cover the earth again. Our God is the creator God and his kingdom will reign forever. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. He's not bound by time. He created time. Before there was time, God. After time is over, God. Get your mind around that. His kingdom is forever. His rule is firmly established and he shall never be moved. Maybe the argument comes up in your mind as you're thinking about scripture and what all scripture teaches and you think, okay, the Lord is king, but why are things so messed up? And I remember reading one time where it said that that Satan was the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians. You're right. Because of our sin, Satan has incredible influence in this world. But guess what? He's just the prince. (laughs) And there's a king. There's a king who rules and reigns over him. And one day, he's already died on the cross to win the victory over sin and to defeat Satan. And one day, he will finish that victory, when we, as we read from Revelation 19, and he sets up shop, and that guy will be gone. And Jesus will be in charge. I don't know about you, but a lot of times, too, when I think of a kingdom, I think of world powers as we transition here into verse 3. Do you ever think about that? And sometimes the, the Lord's kingdom is forever, but I think about it and that's the only kingdom that's forever. There's so many other kingdoms that have been around for a short time, maybe even a long time in our understanding, but really a short time in terms of eternity. And, and people have called them superpowers. The Roman Empire ruled and reigned over everything for quite a while. The, the Persian Empire before that. Fast forward a while, maybe you'd consider the British Empire a superpower. For a while, Russia, a super, the, the, the one we live in right now. You ever hear that on the news? Like, oh, it's, we're the only superpower left. That's the only one left. You know what's greater than a superpower? An omnipower. <laughs> That's how I'm going to describe God's kingdom. We may be a superpower, but the reality is that America will be a blip on the radar of history when we look at it through the lens of eternity and what Jesus does when he reigns as king. And the Lord's kingdom, I would argue, is not the lone superpower, but the sole omnipower. In other words, all-powerful, forever. And all power that, that any nation or empire on this earth has comes from his direct grace and goodness and lending out that power. He's the sole omnipower. Now, why do I bring that up? Well, let's keep reading and... And look at what is written here in verses 3 and 4. Look at verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. You know, there was one thing in ancient times that was considered to be fully outside the control of man. Do you know what it was? The deep. 
the deep. The water of the sea was considered completely outside of man's control. The deep was the place even according to uh, uh, some uh, cultic practices of, you ever heard of Baal in scripture or Baal? That he dwelt in the deep. He, that, that's, why the, that's why the disciples freak out when they're out in the middle of the Lake of Galilee and the sea's crashing and they feel like they're going down because in some sense there's this idea that evil is overtaking them. It was associated with evil. It was associated with being out of control. The waters were uncontrollable. They could wash away in a moment what took generations to build. Have you watched the news this last week? Did you see the floods in Louisiana? Some of what took generations to build in a matter of a week is washed away. The waters can be powerful. When the floods rise, they roar. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. The psalmist is is now, he's going to turn it around and praise God for his power. But but look for a moment. He's making a point that, boy, there's some things in this life that are really hard. You see this all over in the Psalms. That's why I love them. They're so honest. They're so honest. The floods have lifted up. The floods are roaring. That word roaring at the end of verse 3 is a word that's found nowhere else in the Old Testament in its Hebrew form. Vicious, loud, roaring power. I wonder, what are the floods in your life? That's a question I ask myself. Because I don't know about you, but I could look at verse 3. And multiple times this summer we have at similar verses, and I go, the floods... The floods cry out, O Lord. The floods, their, their voice is rising, O Lord. They're, they're roaring, Lord. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's a common theme for me in my life as I look back. There's, there's always these floods that seem to come up and, and need to cry out to the Lord. Don't, don't you, do you see it, God? Do you see what's happening? Do you see everything coming up around me? I wonder, what are the waters that are lifting up in your life? I, I know there's some. We all have them. I could lay out some for my own. Maybe it's a crisis of health. Is it a crisis of health for you? Like the waters of a flood that seem to rise out of nowhere, your health is failing out of nowhere, or someone you love. Maybe there's voices that are rising up with the flood water saying it's worse than you think. It's probably cancer. This is probably it. The voices are rising up. Everything is roaring. Maybe it's a crisis of your job. Maybe that's the floodwaters. Profits are down. Production is down. You're getting older. You can do the math. If they cut, (laughs) I'm first. The floods, they're, they're roaring. You're next. Maybe you've already in that crisis and you've lost your job and you feel like you're just floating through the water. Maybe it's depression or anxiety. Others who never experienced, they don't understand. They just tell you to throw some dirt on it, get over it. That doesn't help. They're just amplifying the volume of the waters that are rushing in around you and rising up and roaring. You're sinking. You're unsure how to get out. Lord, don't you see the the waters are rising? 
Maybe it's strife in your marriage. You feel like you've been trying. And then you make some headway, but then something else happens. It rains again. And there's more floodwaters. The floods have lifted up, O oh Lord. The floods have lifted their voice. What are the floods in your life? Maybe it's someone else's problems. <laughs> and their problems have become a flood in your life. The list could go on and on. The loss of a family member, death of a parent. I just made a list. Fear of loss, crippling anxiety, watching your children struggle with friends or school or health, watching things happening in the world, wondering what is going on. And you cry out with verse 3, like with the psalmist, the floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted their voice. They've lifted up their roaring. What is going on? We talked about it last Sunday, right? We know what to do when that happens. When we find ourselves in that spot, we turn to what we know to be true. We remember what's true about God and we hold on for dear life to that. Even if nothing around us makes sense, we know who God is. He's good. He's a faithful, true, benevolent king. And for all that I am, I hold on to that truth until I see it again. Amen? And maybe the way you do that is by reading on to verse 4. Psalmist does it. He says, I think you could probably add a but in here, but he goes, mightier than the thunder of many waters. You know what's mightier than the thunder of all these waters? You know what's mightier than the waves of the sea? The Lord on high is mighty. He's mighty. He's mightier. You know what? He doesn't diminish what's going on. He's saying the floods are rising. This is awful. But guess who's bigger? My God. Oh, yeah. Right? My God is bigger. You didn't think you'd hear so much macho man in one service ever in your life, did you? But our God is greater. You got to see that. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the ways the Lord on high is mighty. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. I know it is. And it's incredibly hard. But you got to remember as you go through it, God is mightier. And even if he doesn't work it out until the day you see Jesus face to face, that day is coming and eternity is a whole lot longer than this life. And it will be good. He's mightier. Yes, he is. Mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Another thing about his kingdom we learn from Psalm 93 is this. Number four. First, the Lord is king. The, Lord is, the Lord's kingdom is forever. He's the sole omnipower. And the Lord's kingdom is unlike any other. It's unlike any other. There might be some that are kind of like it, where there's good things about that kingdom, but then you flip it over and you understand there's some really rotten things there too. The Lord's kingdom is unlike any other. Your decrees, verse 5, are very trustworthy. Very trustworthy. The reality is that, that no leaders, or at least not too many leaders of kingdoms on this earth, where all of their decrees are trustworthy. Would you agree with that? The leaders of any kingdoms on this earth, is there anyone you can think of where every one of their decrees, everything they've ever said, everything they've ever put into action, you're like, that's trustworthy. I'll blindly follow them, no problem. Is there anybody you can think of? No, but Jesus, his decrees are very trustworthy. His kingdom is unlike any other. It's unlike any other. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. 
There's, there's a lot in that line. Holiness befits your house. That's saying that God's house, his kingdom is holy. And this idea of holy, literally holy just means separate. It means different. God is separate than us. He's different than us. How? Well, he's, he's all powerful. He's eternal. The big way, he's totally and completely without sin. He is holy. He's different. We said it last week, he's strange compared to us in a very good way. Holiness befits his house. Things in his kingdom, in other words, it's upside down compared to kingdoms on this earth. It's different. It's holy. The first shall be last. Last shall be first, Jesus said, right? Those who want to lead won't lord it over people under them, but they'll serve those who are under them. That's God's kingdom. It's unlike any other. As we close, I pointed out earlier, I just mentioned that there were, there's a handful of these Psalms that speak of God as king. And really this morning, we kind of just made observations. That we said, the Lord is king. The Lord's kingdom is forever. The Lord is all powerful. He's the omnipower. And his kingdom is unlike any other. And we could spend a whole lot of time on that point as well. But the question is, so what? So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, that's true, Josh. Okay, cool. Great. What do you do with it? Some of the other Psalms about God as king, I think, give us a hint to that. And at least one thing that we can do. And that's in our response to him in praise. If you've got your Bible, it's not going to be on the screen, but I'll read it to you. Look at Psalm 96. This is another one of those psalms. I'll, I'll read through this, um, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do, hopefully, what this, song says, this psalm says. Look at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. You ever wonder why it's always a new song? <laughs> How about some of the old ones, Lord? I don't know that it's that so much as it is just with, with freshness, with his mercies are new every morning. He's making all things new. I like new stuff. I don't know about you. And I can't wait to be totally made new by Jesus. So sing him a new song. Sing to the Lord. How many people? All the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. We have a song we sing sometimes, right? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing of his sweet salvation. Here's what it's from. Declare his glory among the nations. Maybe one of the ways you respond to God as king is declaring his glory. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. 
Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. We read that already when Jesus comes. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. And that's our king. And that's your king. Amen. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take our offering and then we're just going to sing to him as our king. And I would encourage you sing to him like you really believe he's your king. Sing to him like five-year-old Josh cheered on Macho Man when he was watching TV. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise his name. Amen. That's weak. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and thanks for your grace to us. Thanks, Jesus, that you're king. That in the midst of a world that uh, often disappoints, and disappoints not because of you, but because of our sin, and that we often find ourselves and others falling short, you've entered into this world. You died the death we deserve on the cross to give us freedom from it. And you are king. You rule as king. And one day you're going to come uh, set up shop. You're going to judge the, the world. And those who are found in you will be found faultless, not because of anything we've done, Jesus, but because of what you've done for us. Remind us of that truth. Remind us that you're king and help us live like it. And might we live even first and foremost here as we close singing of who you are, telling of who you are, rejoicing in who you are. Father, we love you. We pray all this through Jesus the King. Amen.